Do you know about Acker Wines? It's America's oldest wine shop and the world's largest fine wine auction house. Their weekly web auction is all the rage right now with thousands of new bottles available every week with all types of great stuff ready for drinking with prices starting at $20. That's right, 20 bucks. With hundreds of selections for less than $100 every month, there are tons of wines to choose from. If you're looking for fun, new, or aged bottles to try, each week brings a new assortment of the world's finest and rarest wines, often in try em out sizes. Also, there's no reason not to be buying at auction, especially when the finds are this good. In addition, the retail store is stocked with thousands of items to choose from, including lots of cutting-edge stuff. Go to ackerwines.com to get in on the action and take your cellar and drinking habits to the next level. That's ackerwines, A-C-K-E-R, wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is owner and chief bubble officer of La Caravelle Champagne and founder and president of Bouquet Ventures Hospitality Consulting, Rita Jamais. Uh, Rita and her husband, Andre Jamais, owned and operated the iconic New York French restaurant La Caravelle. The New York Times described La Caravelle as a French legend and a Paris and Manhattan experience to food enthusiasts and the A-list of American society. After closing La Caravelle restaurant in 2004, she pursued her passion for champagne and started to market and distribute La Caravelle champagne and some Bordeaux uh, <clears throat> producers, which are available and a growing number of distinguished New York and other states' hospitality, restaurant, and retail establishments. Uh, Rita is an avid champagne lover and not only promotes her brand, La Caravelle, but is actually a bit of an ambassador for the entire champagne region. Capitalizing on her 25-plus years of hospitality experience and her extensive network of colleagues that includes chefs and restaurateurs worldwide, Rita formed Bouquet Ventures Hospitality Consulting in 2004. In recognition for her service to the food, wine, and hospitality worlds, Rita was bestowed the Order of Agricultural Merit by France's Minister of Agriculture and Food. Welcome to the show, Rita. Thank you. Thank you, MJ. I'm thrilled to be here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yes. I'm really happy to be with you. And uh, I've, I've followed all your interviews and just love the list of people that I'm joining. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. It's, it's just an honor for you to be here. Um, you know, Rita and I connected. You know, this guy, this show has worked out for me via Instagram. Um, but we, I've been following her for a while and she was following me. And I don't, it just popped up with just I had something in your feed. And I was like, you know what? She'd be a great guest. <laughs> and then and then it was confirmed because then I saw you like on someone else's podcast. Who was on this podcast? So then I, I, I knew you were legit. I was like, I knew you were legit. And like and then so many people speak well of you. Like I uh uh I had Victoria James on, um, which that'll be coming out soon. And and I'm finished reading her book. You're her mentor. You're a mentor to so many women in in this industry. Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm a strong believer of supporting, uh, especially sharing whatever you've learned. And if you can help someone and change their life, mm. it's so good. So good to do that. By the way, I've also been following you and wanted to be on the on the podcast. Didn't know exactly how to do that, <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> it's it, it's. It, I mean, we we have here we have this uh, amazing energy uh, that happens here um, with the podcast. I mean, it just fell on the line. Um, Today is Bubbles Day. You're the first of two champagne ambassadors. Yes. Uh, Amazing. And, and that just, that literally came about. My producer, 
was like, we need to get um, Neek Sam on, you know, because we had been talking about it yes. and, and, and nobody was traveling. Last, well, very few people were traveling because right. of what we just went through. And he didn't think he was going to be back here till the fall. And I, I just, she said that. We had our, our Monday morning meeting. She said that. And I, I said, hey, when are you going to be around? And he's like, I didn't even know. He was like, well, you know, I, I'm just here to visit my family. I'm like, wait, you're in New York? <laughs> and he was like, I was like, yo. And he's like, I think I can get away on Thursday. I was like, oh, my God, that's too perfect. Perfect. So, I love him. He's awesome. He has yeah. great energy and champagne's delicious, too. Yeah, I think we're, um, I'm hoping um, the paths will cross and we can all get a, a big group loving photo out Fun. in the studio, like, yeah. you know, like our, as our tradition. Um, but there's so much to go into with this show. Um, I always like to start at the beginning. So um, in our research, I read that your family is from Iraq. Uh, but you never lived there. Right. Okay. Um, you were born in Saudi Arabia and grew up in Lebanon and Switzerland. Okay. So exactly. You're an international woman of food, wine, mystery. A little walking UN for you. <laughs> yeah, <here>. exactly. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, to grow up like that. Uh, I think there's a great, um, it provides a great mind openness. And, um, I've always been a people person, but, and especially of, all cultures, all races, and that's that makes me happy. Um, so I was raised a, lo a lot in, in boarding schools, but uh, my dad had these amazing values that he instilled in me. Uh, it's like there's the only category you need to put is good people, bad people. That's it. Otherwise, the king and the street sweeper, same. So yeah. that's uh, my belief. Yeah, I love that. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about that just because of a conversation I had with some friends last night. And... Funny you say that. There, and it came to me this morning on the train. Um, Sam Kinison, a comedian, he had this bit, and and he said, you know, I don't care what your race or religion is. He's like, I can talk to you for thirty seconds, and if you're an asshole, I don't want to deal with you. Right? Exactly. So it's got nothing to do with any of that exactly. external stuff, right? It's, it's, totally. I agree with you. Said it's totally. like who the person is. So I love that. So, um, I mean, just I'm just as a go like so. Uh, did your family migrate from Iraq? Like, what was there? Was there? Because I know that we most of us know that part of the world. There's there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of tension, unfortunately. Yes. Um, so how did you how did your family migrate from there and that you ended up in Saudi Arabia? Well, as as you said, the region is um, you know always in big turmoil, and that started back then, um, uh, just in the fifties. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad was a visionary, and he he saw that you know the whole Middle East as a barrel of powder ready to explode at some point, and uh, while he was in 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 Iraq. Um, he had an opportunity to work in Saudi Arabia, and so he did and moved the family there. And uh, that's where I was born. Uh, then at age five, when time came to go to school, being that we were Christians, not Muslims, there were no schools for, for Christians, mm -hmm. for non-Muslims, actually. So so they put me in a Catholic boarding school, French, in Lebanon, where a lot of fa my family had been. And we also had family in Lebanon. I wasn't just catapulted to another country. <laughs> Bye. See ya. No, <laughs> that was not the case. Uh, so it was a little, I think it was a little hard at age five, uh, but it wasn't, they weren't getting rid of me. They we're just making sure that I get an education and uh, also being surrounded by family over there. So that's uh, my first uh, uh, seven years from age five to 12 in Beirut. Eventually, my dad, after that vision of the Middle East, we got to get out of here. We got to <laughs> get out of here. So for his work, he was exposed to going to Switzerland a lot. And he fell in love with that country. It was like a haven, mm -hmm. which it really wasn't, still is. So he decided to move to Switzerland. And um, then I said, there must be schools that I can go to in Switzerland. <laughs> so he, he wanted me to stay because in Beirut, in, in schools, I was learning everything in French and everything in Arabic, which was a lot of work. Wow. And Arabic is very difficult, uh, especially uh, the, the the literary Arabic. So uh, I kind of went on strike and I said, nope, <laughs> I want Switzerland. <laughs> so moved to another French Catholic boarding school in Geneva, this time the same city as them. And uh, it, it was great. It was great. Then I went to the, after I, I graduated the French uh, baccalaureate, I went to the university in Geneva. 
and got a degree in uh, in economics. And incidentally, I'm the first woman in my family to have been to uh, college, to have finished, first of all, okay. uh, secondary mm-hmm. uh, school, and then to go to college. Because my dad said, no, you know, we're Middle Eastern, but, you know, in this world, I want you to be able to be self-sufficient, mm-hmm. not to have to depend on someone for your livelihood. Mm-hmm. So education it is. And, uh, you know, um, I'm thrilled he did. That's that's see that I love that so it's amazing that because uh, I mean it could so easily have been like you're not going to school and that right and that we'll he find saw you that. a husband right, right, and exactly. blah 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 right yeah. right I mean and back then like you're right your father was a visionary I mean that's still going on today <laughs> yes so so for him to definitely to buck the trend and uh, yeah. have you be I mean that's amazing I love that um, so given all these um, countries lived in like what kind of foods and flavors were you exposed to uh, growing up. Uh, definitely Iraqi and Lebanese food. Those are my big, big uh, stomach and heart loves. Uh, in Iraq, my favorite dish is the, you know, what they call tadig in Persian. is the, cris- the, the crispy uh, basmati rice. Okay. With that family recipe of lemon, cardamom, lemon, and um, and uh, saffron also. So that's uh, whenever our, we meet with all our kids that are now you know, all over the place, we said, we're going to do that recipe, please, mom. So that's our comfort food kind of uh, and then in Lebanon I mean phew, there's all the meze that uh, actually my cousin uh, Philippe Massoud owns Ilili a wonderful Lebanese restaurant in the city and guess what I'm dining there tonight <laughs> as it so happens <laughs> just, I'm telling you things just fall in line here on the I know. podcast <laughs> um, so growing up um, was your your, was there wine in your home? Was your father, did, was he a wine drinker? Or your mother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my dad was um, a Burgundy lover. Okay. He was actually a Chevalier du Tastevin. And Geneva and Bonn are not that far from each other. So when he went for his uh, intronization, uh, I tagged along, even though I was just uh, 12, 13. So I was like, can I have water? I don't want to drink that stuff. And <laughs> my dad said, just taste. It's so good. <laughs> so we had to bribe the waiter to get it bottle of water and shh, under the table quiet don't say anything so um yeah and then eventually you know i came to to just love uh, wine and and be very interested and then i discovered champagne and uh, that's it okay um so you know you said your dad wanted you get an education you mentioned you have a degree in economics and uh as, as we see marketing and economics marketing yes okay. it's part of it yeah um what was the influence of your father's um he had an international trade company that invested in hotels and restaurants was that something that yes kind of fashioned your career or some of your choices you made definitely first of all it's entrepreneurial so that uh, was instilled in me from day one. Second of all it's about dealing with people from all countries uh, he used to travel to eastern europe to japan to obviously to the middle east and i just uh, also i developed that uh, love for japan uh, so i just love discovering new cultures because it's, it's so it brings you so much it's so enriching you know i think on a personal level yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, how did uh, working with your dad? Uh, how was that? What was that experience like? So he was entrepreneurial, but like, was he was he, he was still your boss? Right? <laughs> he was the toughest boss that anyone could ever have, especially because I was his daughter. He was like, like office hours were eight a.m. to noon, and then two or I don't remember two to six in Geneva. So if I was eight o five, eight ten, he was like. Watching, <laughs> clapping on his watch, and like you're late. Like, okay, but dad, I had to park the car. I don't care. Eight o'clock is eight o'clock. It's not eight o five. Like, woo. And then if I made a mistake in, in one of the the jobs, woo, he would like correct me and go redo it. And you know, it's that rigor that I'm very grateful for. It's just you know, you want things done well. That that's what it is. And yeah, you can be a pain in the the neck for asking for it, but at the end of the day, it's quality work that you do. I, I love that the rigor. Um, was there like. <clears throat> So obviously he 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 was very uh, meticulous, and, yes. and, and he had high expectations. Um, 
but were there moments where he like uh, would pull you aside and give you some advice? Like, is there is there a piece of advice that he gave you that still rings true for you today? Absolutely. You know, parallel to all his professional and business qualifications, he also had a great great heart, and he loved to to share his his knowledge and wisdom. Um, and one of the big things I learned is every problem has a solution. Mm-hmm. That's a very good one. Sometimes you're really deep in the weeds, and it's coming from all parts, and you don't know. You just breathe one thing at a time and one day at a time. Those are the two things, uh, along with constantly in the background is, you know, your human beings, good people, don't forget. No matter where they come from, what they look like, what they say, just good people and bad people. So all these together really formed a very strong foundation for me. Uh, and, and I also, uh, along with Andre, we really instilled this in our sons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about them because they're mm-hmm. doing things too. Um, <laughs> what you said just made me think of. Um, I think people need to understand like like problems have solutions. Yes. If there's no solution, that just might be the way things are. But a, a, a true problem has a solution. Exactly. You know what I mean? I I mean, not to be cagey, but even if the solution is no solution, right. meaning you can't do anything about it, right. you do what you can. Right, right. And that's it. Right. But I think I think that's important because I, I you know, I think people throw around like platitudes, but I think they people – the show is about more than wine I hope to think and like, oh for sure and, and, I, and I just think like when like that was like that's so true like a, a problem has a solution and if there is no solution then you, you figure out a problem you can solve that's it so yeah um, so safe to say this is where your love of hospitality began working with your dad's uh, investment group and then um, uh, but when did it become clear like when was it clear that this was the world you wanted to live in um, actually, hospitality, I really joined uh, when uh, we moved to New York. Actually, that's not true. Backtrack. Uh, Andre, my husband, <laughs> uh, his family owned the Bristol Hotel in Paris, and his dad actually founded the hotel. Andre was born in a hotel room. So when we got married, we, I was like... Probably conceived the, in one, too. Uh, probably. <laughs> With all the travel going on. <laughs> and I dad, my dad owned a hotel at some point, too. Okay. Um, um, so, yes, with uh, Andre's influence the, the Bristol the hospitality is a notion that's kind of ingrained in me also being from the Middle East I believe we have this already in our blood it's like come in you're welcome in my space in my house and my definition of hospitality is your guest is le- leaves better off than when they came mm. in so that's like you added something to, to their life and made them feel good mm. so mm. I love that I love that um, talk a little bit because it was actually right here in my notes. And I love this. Like, you've read my notes. Talk a little bit about uh, the Bristol Hotel because a lot of people, you know, we have different levels who listen to this. Like, I have wonderful wine professionals and people who are learning more about. Tell them about the Bristol Hotel. Like, uh, it's it's like a really serious, like, it luxury. It is. It is in one of the world. Some baller stuff. Like. Exactly. Yeah. Super baller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> High roller baller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's also, it's a, yeah, it's a world palace uh and uh and the beauty of their hospitality and their brand of luxury is that yes you have all the amenities all the comfort etc and the luxury but it's also very um human it's not um, you know robotic or it's not hot at all they make you feel so good like they'll joke around with you and other but make sure that your needs are met in the hotel and that's priceless it's understated luxury not Ooh. flash in your face you know Oh, um, <clears throat> by the way, this, this champagne, I believe we have your Blanc de Blanc. Yes. Delicious. Um, and I, and, Thank you. And, I th- and it's actually, it's like reasonably priced. I mean, like it's real it champagne. Is. And it's it just, is. you know, like it's, yes. yeah, it's, it's lovely. Um, you. So after you worked with your dad, like, did you ever like... Like, were you a bartender? Did, like, were you a line cook? Like, what were some of the other positions you held in the hospitality? Although, like, when you own shit, like, I don't know, you know like, did you want to, like, you might want to go work in the kitchen for a week. But, like, I realize that question's kind of interesting. But, no, yeah. no, it, it, it is. I actually didn't uh, work in back of the house. Okay. My back of the house is my home kitchen, <laughs> which it doesn't qualify, really. But um, Oh, I'm sure it no. does with the, with uh, your your 
you have in the restaurant, I'm sure you, you, you throw down in the back of the house. So coming to your house, it's probably an experience for a, Yes. Yeah. I mean, my guest seems so. Seems <laughs> to think so. <laughs> Yo, I mean, it's always uh, very interesting for me to learn about things. This is what I learned in school, in my education, how to learn. And for me, it was very interesting, the world of hospitality, both front of the house, back of the house. Mm-hmm. From my marketing perspective, first of all, branding and then positioning and also the people who work there. Because mm-hmm. that was um, so interesting. Interesting at La Caravelle, where we worked with chefs from all over the world. We had a Tadashi, a Japanese chef. We had American chefs, Michael Romano. We had uh, uh, Cyril Renaud, a French chef, among others. And for me to be able to bridge cultures and understand chefs, because um, it's a special situation. Chefs are artists, but under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of know how to deal with both these uh, situations. And it was an amazing school. Plus, um, I love to eat. Ha <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love what you said, though. I mean, at that level of luxury and and that you're operating, operating Michelin star restaurants or anything like you're right. The, the chef is an art. It's like telling Picasso, OK, paint a masterpiece every night. That's right. Like like. Like most artists have years or months, you know. Exactly. It's like every night. Every, you start from scratch every day. You really hit it on the nail with that. And that's one of the big challenges and, and wonders of hospitality is that every day you start from scratch. It's a bit like a theater production. Mm-hmm. You, you can't take anything from the day before. You know, uh, every day comes with a set of challenges and, and rewards and, yeah, and sometimes headaches. But, hey, you plow through <laughs> it and you're good. Your guests are happy. That's all that counts. Right. That's so true. So uh, when did when did you meet, actually, Andre? When did you two meet? How did you fall in love? What was your first date like? So Andre and I uh, met in Geneva. I was living in Geneva. He was living in Paris. And uh, given the age difference, Andre is actually the 10th of 10 children. Wow. No twins. And his sister, number two, had daughters that were my age. And one of them was my friend. So she said to me, you have to meet my uncle. And I'm thinking, oof, that sounds like a little, you know, old. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 he's not much older than you. <laughs> like, okay, we're not in the geriatric department. <laughs> so so we met. Um, he came to Geneva. That's where we met. And then I would go to Paris. And then we met um, uh, at some point in, in Burgundy also. We would meet halfway through in a great restaurant, of course, uh, always food involved and hospitality. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all went on vacation in their, to, in their family home in, in La Baule. It's on the Atlantic coast of, of uh, France. It's a gorgeous place with sandy beaches and huge house with lots of cousins, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and friends. So that's where our romance started. And then eventually we had this long-term relationship, but we kept, you know, meeting either Geneva or Paris or in between. And uh, we got engaged and then got married. And then after we got married, shortly thereafter, the family sells the hotel. It was like, who? Welcome to the family. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, after a very short you know, year and a half in Paris, we said, let's get out of here. We have no kids yet. Let's just put our stuff in storage, take our two suitcases and cross the Atlantic. Because Andre had spent a year in New York prior to that, repping the Bristol Hotel. Mm-hmm. And we came to the U.S. Um, on our honeymoon. We did a tour. We had friends and family. And I fell in love with America. I swear to God, on the ride from JFK to Manhattan, not the most glamorous ride at all. <laughs> but I said, I want to live here. And he's like, oh, what did I met? Who, how do you haven't even seen it? You know, how do you know? So my gut says, okay. So that I still feel that way today. It's just my favorite place to live, America. Wow. As much as Europe is beautiful, the Middle East is amazing. But this is where, where my home is. I love that. And I was going to say, um, just but love stories just sound so much better when they're in Europe. Like I was in Geneva, he was in Paris, and, and then we meet in Burgundy, we're on the coast of uh, the Atlantic coast of France. It's like, yeah, uh, I'm from Fresno, and my girlfriend's from Stockton, and you know, I mean, like some like are like, oh, you know, I'm from Long Branch. My wife, she was in New Haven. Like it's just not as sexy as you know. Hey, like, no, it works everywhere. No, romance, I, I mean, is I mean, romance. romance is romance, but it just it just just it just sounds better. You know what I mean, guys? It does, well, it does sound better. But I mean, love is love is a principle, right? I get it exactly. But it just sounds better. I just gotta <laughs> tell you, <laughs> and I and I just and, the, and it's even the romantic of like, just that is like, 
that shitty drive actually into the city from JFK. But like, I love how you trusted your heart and your gut and you're like, this is where I want to go. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's so awesome. Um, what year was that, by the way? That was in, uh, the, the honeymoon was in 77, 1977. And um, we moved to America in 1980, okay. January 1980. Very nice. Yep. We're in here, you were here in time for the Reagan years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <laughs> it's pop, I know, just pop culture just pops in my head. Um, so... He sold the hotel. So you guys come to Yes, Move to Yes in 1980. Like, what What did you guys do? Just So that's an interesting story, too. Um, we Before coming, uh, so we had those friends here and, and connections. And they said, oh, don't worry. We have, we'll come up with a project for Andre and then a way to get the green card. That's great. Amazing. We come here with our little suitcase for two weeks and then... After a few days, we are sitting here and we're looking at each other like, none of these things are actually happening. So what do we do? So we look at each other. We're like, I said, I'm not going back. And he said, me neither. Okay, good. So let's make it work. Who do you know? Who do I know? Et cetera, et cetera. So we managed to make it work. Andre, through his hotel network, um, got a job at the Regency Hotel, which is on 61st and in, in, uh, Park as an assistant manager. So he worked nights and weekends. And I um, started to work for the French uh, cultural services. Interestingly enough, it had to be a non-French person. Uh, I'm Swiss. Uh, National citizenship. citizenship. Yeah. So uh, that was amazing. Uh, you know, I worked, uh, I had a diplomatic visa. I just love that. No customs when you travel. <laughs> you don't pay tax. And I was like, Okay, that's good. And then eventually, Andre got his green card, and we started to look for a restaurant project. And that's where, after searching, um, along with one of the founders of La Caravelle Restaurant, Robert Maison, one day Robert invites Andre, and he tells him, actually, I want to retire. Why don't you buy my half of the restaurant? And Andre was like, yeah, let's let's talk. So that's what happened in '84. Okay, hold on. I actually want to dive deeper into that, but we need to take a quick break. Yeah. And then we come back, we'll dive into uh, all things La Caravelle. If you're a fan of the show, you know that there would be no black wine guy experience without Acker Wines. America's oldest wine shop is now the world's destination for fine and rare wine. That's why I want you to go over to their website and check them out. Whether you're seeking the world's finest and rarest bottles or just something for everyday drinking, Acker Wines is the place to go to expand your palate and enhance your personal wine experience. Go to ackerwines.com. That's A-C-K-E-R wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Okay, we're back. So you go from how are we going to stay here <laughs> to four years later, like, oh, uh, buy me out of this restaurant. Yep. Okay. So, what? What? I mean, then what happened? I'm like, so did you guys immediately start working together? Like, what was the process of you guys uh, assuming like ownership of the? Uh, Actually, we didn't start. This is a great question. We didn't start working together because um, we started to have babies. So that was my main job. <laughs> One and twins, eighteen months apart. So you can imagine that. Uh, whew, that was a pretty busy schedule. Busy. busy. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, in 88, when Andre's partner, uh, Roger Fessaguet, um, no, they split and Andre, uh, Roger, uh, Andre bought Roger's shares in 88. Then the kids were in, in school. So I was ready to come in. And uh, I hadn't actually never worked in a restaurant per se, but it's the, you know, the business side of it that I, I was uh, handling. And then I really got that bug of the restaurant world. It's so amazing. I just loved it. But, so I know the the your children are a little bit older, but I mean restaurant it's 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 a, it's like a twenty hour day. It can be like you know twelve to twenty hour day business. How did you juggle being a mom? And I know you and and, and running that business. To be honest with you, in retrospect, I don't know how we did it. But you know you have to do it. You have to do it. Uh, fortunately, I had I had help, uh, but um, I was not working there full time. Uh, Andre Andre was there 
all the time, all the time. And we lived in, in Manhattan. We lived on 84th Street. The restaurant was on 55th. So it was the commute wasn't like a killer. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we managed to do it, you know, and just um, and we when we were with our kids, we were very, you know, cognizant of the fact that we wanted to give them quality time with us. They also came to dine well, yeah, at least once you, a yeah, week. They, they Those canal asked them about the canal of La Caravelle. They go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. Uh, they dress up like Papa, you know, with the suit and, and, and tie. It was very cute. The clip on tie, but still a tie. Um, it, it was really, really cool to, to, to do that. And uh, I think they kept great memories. And then eventually when they grew up, they interned at the restaurant. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. or the restaurant. And then, um, like, uh, Nicolas, he asked me, Mom, do you have any friends in the restaurant hospital, you know, world that I can intern at every summer, a different one? Kind of already building his. That's amazing. Yeah. It, 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 he had that, that vision. He worked so hard. I mean, all three of them are incredibly hard workers, and I really, um, I, I admire them, to be honest with you. I un admire them, and I uh, I learn from them now, which is beautiful when you're the educator, and then, you know, you also, you flip roles at some point. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And and they, I know, they work in hospitality, they work in hospitality now, too, at least one of them. Uh, Nicolas, yes. Yeah. Nicolas is the co-founder of Sweet Green. Um, and uh, which he co-founded uh, right as they graduated from uh, he graduated from Georgetown with two of his uh, classmates and uh, Patrick is in the marketing of food product distribution um, for instance now he's he's with the good culture which um, they make organic uh, originally cottage cheese and then they're expanding the uh, the range Prior to that, he was with Sir Kensington, which is also a very, um, you know, important. So he's also in the hospitality world, if you want. And he started with honesty. Mm -hmm. uh, as for Christoph, uh, our oldest son, um, Christoph is, uh, he, he learned finance at Tulane, but he, quickly realized that world was not for him because okay. he's very artistic too, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very sharp, but artistic. So he developed his own specialty of uh, digital strategist. Yeah, kudos. Mm. Now he's um, he's uh, working with a group, and they just advise uh, amazing companies, very interesting projects like IBM, Watson, uh, Bloomberg, etc. So it's very uh, it's very rewarding. The Jamais family is balling, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a fun story too. When social media was starting, uh -huh. like I asked, "Hey, Christoph, can you set me up with the Twitter?" He said, "Sure. Let's call you Caravel Champ." Like, ooh, I like that with the double entendre, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, uh -huh. champion and, uh -huh. and champagne. Uh -huh. And then, uh, you know, Instagram followed. And now I think they look at me, they're like, oh, this is like Fantasia that we can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, what did you love most about uh, La Caravelle? What, what, what are you proudest of uh, at that project? The project is about continuing the story in a different um, universe and medium. Mm -hmm. Originally, it was obviously the champagne, uh, I'm sorry, the restaurant, and then it became champagne and wine brand, which is in and of itself, branding-wise, it's very tricky to, to do to because people know you as, as a restaurant and you're closed. You're no longer there. But having the champagne through the hospitality world, and which have, has embraced me beautifully, I have to say, I'm so grateful to, for, to restaurateurs, chefs, and the sommeliers. The sommeliers community has kind of adopted me, even though I'm older than most. <laughs> I, wish, I dare to say all. <laughs> but it's just... Um, you know, it, it's very beautiful. I am a two-way streeter. Like, I support people who support me. Yeah. And as yeah. you mentioned earlier, if I can mentor or help someone or train someone, I'm always super happy to do it. So that part, I love the the story behind it. Obviously, it has to be a good product because I wouldn't rely on, you know, putting the name on something that I don't believe in. The quality, approachability, and, and uh, the fact that it's... Um, uh, it can be in a lot of places on its own. Mm -hmm. And the story of us behind our family and all that, that's really something that I'm very happy about. Wow. Um, why um, why did you guys, why, why did it close? Like what, what, ha what led to you guys closing the restaurant? 
So in uh, in May 2004, we closed. We had owned the restaurant partially for 24 years, mm. the last 24 years, because the restaurant was opened in 1960 mm. by two French gentlemen, Robert Mézin and Fred Decré. And as I said earlier, 84 the first half, 88 the second half. Um, you know, after 9-11, we really were hit very hard mm. on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. I think 9-11 changed the society in general mm -hmm. profoundly. Yeah. So um, we had like a late, we held on as much as we could. Um, also trying to bridge uh, the past and the present in a seamless way uh, without creating a schizophrenic brand. Like, what are you? Are you classic or are you today what are you i like to say we're a timeless brand and uh you know allowing chefs to create their own because they're artists you can't you know, if you have a big chef and you tell them these are the dishes you're going to cook that's no 100% of that it's it's too challenging so we were able to maintain the classic which we didn't want to let go of because it was us it was the 1960s, the Kennedy family. I mean, the, the whole era of Camelot. All mm. that we really needed to, to uh, hold on to. Yeah. So um, when, it, when it came to that time, um, it sounds like it was a little bit agonizing. Um, yeah. At that point, did, you, did, did it ever occur to you like, okay, this was a good run in hospitality. That's it. I'm done. I'm going to go do something else. Did, it, did that ever cross your mind? Or did you always have the vision of, of uh, taking the brand and, and making a pivot? Um, that's an amazing question. I was, um, first of all, we had a beautiful exit because we suffered a lot mm -hmm. through the, the, the end, but it was a beautiful exit in that, uh, I am a very positive person. We are, and our brand is positive. So we didn't want to go on a like dwindling guys. We closed last night. So we were, <laughs> we were lucky to, to have been nominated for the James Beard, uh, mm. outstanding restaurant, which is like the grand finale of, of awards. We didn't win, but we were nominated, which is a huge way to exit. Um, after we closed, you know, I was like looking at, think, did a lot of thinking, as you can imagine. And I'm like, what do I want to do? Now I have La Caravelle restaurant on my forehead. <laughs> Who am I? So one thing is sure is my love for hospitality. So I said, I don't want to leave that world. And since we had introduced the champagne and the wine at the restaurant in 98 already, okay. I said, why don't I continue? We actually urged by friends, family and, and guests like, hey, why don't you continue the champagne? And I was like, oh, yeah. Great, but I don't like to sell. I'm not a salesperson. I'm more of a promotion, marketing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to learn new things. And it was a challenge at first because, you know, restaurateurs said, I don't want the name of another restaurant on my wine list, which mm, I can understand wow. yeah, to a certain yeah, yeah. extent. Yeah. But then I said, you know, it's it's not it's closed. It's it's not going to open. Um, our first big break was uh, Alain Ducasse. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we help each other at some point. And then one day he said to me, whatever you need. I said, okay, actually, remember that promise? <laughs> uh, we're, we have our own now, the line of champagne and, and uh, distract, more, more champagne, mostly champagne at first. He said, okay, I'm opening two restaurants, the Adour and Benoit. Go see my, my wine director. If he likes it, you're in. Okay, that was a great first introduction because it gave me kind of precedence to, to go and say, mm -hmm. you know, if well, I'm asked, exactly. Right. Where else is your pizza? Right, exactly. Well, you know, Alain Ducasse just bought a hundred cases, right? Like, so, you know, yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. But um, it took it took a good eight nine years to be in the in the black in the business because mm -hmm. it was like efforts efforts but i still i had this vision that i wanted to achieve and i'm very persistent when i when i have an idea mm -hmm. it's sadly hard to get me out of it so i did <laughs> talk a little bit about that because i think um a lot of people i mean we live in such a fast-paced world and and a lot of people think um it's like it's easy to make it right like i'll mm -hmm. just i'll just throw up some 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 posts on social media and you know i'm like like you took like eight nine years to get in the black i mean like and you ha and you are and, and and everybody's out here building your own private brand like you had a brand already exactly exactly you know? i mean um I, I just talk a little bit more you said it like like why are you so persistent like what what did, where did that tenacity come from um 
that tenacity comes from following my gut, first of all, and then what I was instilled, you know, from my dad, the values, and really the belief that I think uh, this would be a great, it's an extension of hospitality, basically. Mm -hmm. That's how I view La Caravelle. Plus, I love champagne. Plus, you know, it's just magical world. world. Uh, to make it happen was really, it really needed patience and time to actually, you know, to brand. Brand is like, uh, you have to imprint something in people's minds. Mm -hmm. And that takes long time. Yep. Oh, La Caravelle, yeah. And yeah, the older people would say, oh, yeah, this is a, wasn't that a restaurant? And then the, the younger generation like, Oh, what's that? So you had to, you know, m message these two different uh, constituencies. And um, as I said, you know, giving uh, the getting the support from the industry was very, very important. And just keep going at it and knowing who you are and messaging uh, whatever who you are, not not wanting to be another brand. I'm, mm. I'm not like, I'm not a huge brand. It's a niche brand, yeah. first of all, right, right. which means a lot of things can happen and others can't. Yep. So that's reality. Um, why do you love champagne so much? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know why. I mean, like, why? Ah, first of all, in general, it's magic. Yeah. It's magic in itself. Second of all, when you know and you learn about it and you see how it's made, it's incredible. The the it's an art. It, the knowledge that it takes, all these years of experience, the climate, the soil, uh, and then the the, the know-how of these uh, enologists and winemakers is just mind-boggling. I think in Champagne, it's already hard to make good wine, but here is like an extra level up because the blending and how do, how you can imagine when you're tasting the still wines, they're going to blend 300 of Chardonnay, let's say, and then know the difference that if I use that, that one Chardonnay a little more than the other, it'll, it'll make a difference. I'm baffled by that. I'm, I'm really amazed by that because how they can compartmentalize those different, um, uh, informations and then make sure that that'll bring this result, the vision that they have. And it's just magical to taste, to taste with, with the winemaker. And he'll say, Oh, that'll be for great vintage. And that you see from the same parcel, you have two different clear wines. You say clear wines is the vinified wine mm -hmm. still. And then in the same parcel of land, different ex expo exposures, you'll have different wine. How, can you imagine like an added level of complexity? Basically, it's managing this complexity uh, that I find admirable. Mm. And then the blending and then the aging. Um, I think really the messaging for why champagne is what it is, is people need to understand what it takes to bring a, bo a bottle of champagne. When you walk into a store, you see a bottle of champagne. If you know exactly what it takes to get that bottle, you'll have higher respect and you'll be willing to pay more than the other sparklings. Mm. For sure. Mm. Knowledge is power. I love that. <clears throat> I love that. Um so we're having the uh, Blanc de Blanc now. What are some of the other, uh, how many champagnes do you produce? We have three, okay. three champagnes. They're all non-vintage. Okay. So the uh, the Blanc de Blanc, I like to start with the Blanc de Blanc because it's Chardonnay only. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I mean, many different still Chardonnays that are blended, but it's it's a, a Chardonnay that comes mostly from the Côte des Blancs, and it ages for three years in the bottle. And, uh, it's, oh, it's in the bottle? In the bottle, okay. yes. So it's vinified in steel tanks. Okay. And aged for three years, which actually, you know, helps. It's almost like a tête de cuvée after three years, knowing that the minimum aging in champagne is 15 months, which champagne, by the way, is highly regulated, just in order to achieve that quality and that, you know, consistency of quality throughout the board, um, you need to have these uh, requirements. And three years in a bottle will allow these, a lot of beautiful secondary, f uh, you know, f uh, yeah, I'm getting like notes to come. Exactly. Stuff that you don't normally get in, yeah. in most non-vintage, exactly. you know, uh, champagnes. I was picking that up, that kind of dough yeasty thing going on. Exactly. Um, and so... Uh, what are the others? You have the others, this, the, then we go to the Brut, the Cuvenina. Mm -hmm. Um, by the way, Caravelle is a type of ship that was sailed on where the New World was discovered. Ah. So that's why we always also associated with the, uh, pairing it with cuisines from all over the world. And I just love that because wine, uh, mostly wine is about travel for me. Yeah. Because it's the sense of place and yep. it shows you, you know, 
where it is from, why it is like that, because of that place. So geography plays a huge role. And then when you're pairing it with all these different flavors and textures and cuisines from all over the world, it's just fascinating to see empirically what you can come up with. So the Cuvée Nina has, uh, Nina being one of the three caravel ships, mm -hmm. that's why we call it Cuvée Nina, mm -hmm. uh, means a little girl too in Spanish. Um, it's, it's a blend of 40% Chardonnay, 30% uh, Pinot Noir, and 30% Pinot Meunier, the three major grapes I of love, Champagne. You need to do a Blanc de Noirs. I love a ah, Pinot. That's my new... I love a new Pinot Meunier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Meunier, yeah, uh, yeah. Beige, uh, I agree, I agree. Champagne, yeah. it just, they're soft. I'm, I've discovered those, you know, a few years ago, and I'm just increasingly falling yeah. in love with them, like Mousse or, or beautiful, beautiful, yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the, these are aged, the Cuvinia's aged for two years. Okay. 24 months. Okay. Um, Still exceeding that 15 months. Exactly, uh, exactly. Mandy. Exactly. And then the beautiful thing about tasting the Cuvée Nina after the Blanc de Blanc is that you see what the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Meunier bring to the equation. And that's really, um, it's like adding on, you know, make it give more body, more structure, mm -hmm. and a little more fruit also, mm -hmm. and uh, makes it a very easy wine for aperitif. Even you could have to be had on its own. It doesn't really beg for food always. Right, right. Um, so... I'm just going to throw this question yep. here as I'm opening the Nina. Um, like, what was, like, the bottle of champagne? Like, I, this is delicious, but, like, I'm sure you've had a lot of champagne. I'm sure you've had some baller champagne. I have. Uh, like, 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 <laughs> like, what knocked your socks off? Like, what was the first bottle? You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> the first one, I don't exactly remember the vintage. Also. I believe it was 1907. It was at, like, La Caravelle time, a Ruinard from 1907. 1907. We it did. Oh. Shook up a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. And um, okay. <laughs> nobody saw that. <laughs> no, what happened? <laughs> so yeah, I'm sorry. So 19, did you say 1907? 1907. But in all fairness, that was tasted in the uh, 80s. So it's kind of not fairness, 2010, I mean, almost like a century. Something years old. Yes. Yeah, you know, it was. It was. It was magical. Truth be told. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, recently, I really liked. Uh, um, I love Krug. The Krug, the, the 98 was really, Krug's, really beautiful. Krug's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it, one, one thing I've noticed um, on Instagram, which has been really good, is um, I, I – uh, oh, should I ask this question now? Or like, okay. So, yeah, it's kind of leading. So, so before I ask this question, um, talk about the formation of Bouquet Ventures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because the restaurant closes, you're going to promote the champagne, and Bouquet Ventures was also born in 2004, correct? Yes. Okay. Actually, La Caravelle Champagne um, Ambassadorship, Bubble Ship, whatever my title bubble is, <laughs> uh, this falls under Bouquet Ventures. My, okay. It's my company that encompasses oh, okay. all. Okay. And, and um, I'm also a consultant in hospitality, so um, that's I have... A projects that come up um, that I work on. Let's say a hotel wants to bring in a chef. It's also my restaurant side also. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, how do you say that? Um, liaising the two worlds and yeah. Ah, so this is open. It's interesting because I had some I had some aged Burgundy last night. And actually in this, I think the, the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Noir <laughs> is bringing like, there's like a little bit of leather and spice in this one. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Like leather cherries and some spice. It's pretty bananas. The fruit is beautiful. Yeah. It comes up. Yeah. That's a, it's also how it plays with the other flavors from the other grapes. And that's what that's what the magic is. You asked me what why yeah. champagne. Mm -hmm. That's why. The blend. I think the magic of champagne relies in the blend. That's where you have the most magic. Obviously, when you have an incredible year, but still, they do blend, you know, several from several places and several parcels and vineyards. Um, so, yeah, that's what I saw. I don't know. I mean, it might have been an old post, but like, I said, I have to have this one on a podcast. She did the fried chicken dinner at Champagne Week a few years ago. Talk, talk about fried chicken and champagne, please. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so in my quest to, to demonstrate how champagne goes with just about everything, even the most surprising things, um, 
in conjunction with uh, Blaine Ashley of New York Champagne Week. Okay. Uh, one of the events that we had during the pandemic was um, fried chicken and champagne fete. Yes. So uh, Marcus Samuelson is a dear friend and neighbor, and you know we lo- we support each other, and I love Red Rooster, and I love his work. He's he and his family. They're amazing people, the kindest, and just very. I don't know. They give so much to the community. So. His fried chicken is incredible, and he sends it through Gold Belly, and and it really I think it works so well when you heat it up. His formula is just so good that the texture, once it's cooked, baked, is just fantastic. See, you sent me some, and I, and I you know, I don't know if you listened to the episode I did with Shakira. We were we were in fried chicken wars. <laughs> Love Shakira. Yeah, she's um, because my mom could fry some fucking chicken. I just. Whew. Love you, mom. Is you? Um, so I, it's so I, yeah. I'm excited to try the, yep. the, the chicken and waffles. I I make a mean chicken and waffles, but I mean Marcus is more. He's got like succotash. It's this whole thing. But I'm just gonna throw a and butter pickles and butter to pickles. Yep. You know. Um, but why do you why what is it about champagne that works with this wide swath of foods? So, if, particularly with the fried chicken, yeah. is the, is about con- your pairing is about contrast and harmony. So, in some pairings, you have both. Um, I think in in the fried chicken and champagne, you do have both. First of all, the contrast is easy to see the the richness of the fried part of the mm-hmm. the chicken, the dark meat, um, will be counter. Uh, you know, countered by the acidity, the fresh temperature, and the bubbles of the champagne. So that's great, like, compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, and compliment also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the, the, the uh, harmony is when you have, you know, the, the, there's always some kind of, um, uh, carb outside the breading of the fried, uh, yep. part of the chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that also will pick up the notes of brioche from the, from the champagne, mm-hmm. which you have, you know, in, in actually all the cuvées, in, in our cuvées. So, it's really fantastic to have these things that like, oh, it's honestly speaking, match made in heaven, I think. Mm, mm. And speaking of matches made in heaven, I mean, because it's, it's, I think uh, 99% of Americans think champagne is just for special occasions. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> talk about some, <laughs> I, talk about some of the other just, just amazing the versatility of this wine, yeah. Because I, and that's another thing too. Like, yes, it is. Champagne is is it's 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 singular. You know, it, it is. It's unique. It's unique, it's right? Unique. I mean, it's a sparkling wine from a region called Champagne, but it is. But that region is special. Is you know. Yep. Um, what are some of the other like what what would be a classic combination besides Cla- New Year's Eve, right? I mean, right. That's a, that's a classic combination. For me. Well, first New of all, Year's champagne Eve. should be had all year round. It is a wine. Yes, you do. It's good to celebrate with sure. champagne. It's amazing, but it's good. It's a wine just because. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I feel like a little drink. Let me have champagne. It's only twelve of alcohol. By the way, it's vegan. Just a little note. Ah. People don't realize that, but if you're, you know, watching these things. Um, and then champagne is um, traditionally our elders, the elders of champagne said champagne is perfect with fish, shellfish and white meats. Why? Because they didn't travel all over the world. They weren't exposed to all the cultures we <laughs> right, are now. Right, right. They didn't go to China for, for dumplings. They didn't go to, you know, fried chicken in the South. They, they didn't do all that. But there's one pairing that works beautifully and we've experienced recently is with oysters. Mm. We've paired up again for a, for a virtual event with this amazing company called Real Oyster Cult in Massachusetts. Oh, my God. Is that a blue oh yeah. Oyster cult? Real oyster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's great. <laughs> For sure. And uh, they ship overnight. And this with the Blanc de Blanc and with the Cuvenina is fantastic. It's super classic pairing, but there's a reason for that. In addition, in this pairing, in addition to the, like, even the oysters, a little unctuous, a mm-hmm. little fattiness mm-hmm. will be countered by the acidity and the bubbles of the champagne. But also you have that salinity. Because don't forget that champagne, um, a lot of vineyards are on, on, on uh, uh, like, there's marine deposits. In, in mm-hmm. the soil. So that will he have some champagnes have marine notes, saline, and that will pick up obviously the, the sal- salinity in the oof, lot of tongue twisters here. I know. Salinity that, in the oysters. Salinity, champagne, salinity in the oysters. I don't know, like, say that <laughs> once even. Forget trying to say it fast three times. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a good one. Um, then we did, of course, there's also cheese, which traditionally people drink red wine with it, but 
actually she's goes so well with champagne because it's so rich exactly the, the acid and the bubbles Perfect. just would cut and then it, they're yeah. both products of fermentation so you also have that kind of yeasty then that's, thing then you're, that's your harmony exactly exactly Oh, you make this so easy to understand. And pizza, of course, which has so many elements to it. We did the also recently with Laurent Tourondel from Lamico. Okay. You get the pizza kit from them and then the champagne, and it's just amazing. You finish it up with him on, on screen. We also did an extraordinary pairing with Gabrielle Kreuther, the Tarte Flambé, you know, it's an Alsatian kind of uh, also a sort of a pie okay. uh, with bacon and, and cheese and yeah. Mm. All that with champagne and another one with white mushrooms and cheese. It's just fantastic. So as I'm listening to this, um, how like I just you're a problem solver, like you, you're a solution seeker. Um, how did you pivot in 2020 when restaurants were shutting down and was it was it this virtual world? Like what like what got you to to, to collab? Like what how? What got you to think to collaborate with people and start doing virtual things and sending kits out? What was that? Yeah, well, you know, when when the when we everybody was forced to close doors uh, in March, mid March uh, two thousand twenty, uh, I used to sell eighty percent of my champagne to restaurants mm -hmm. and bars, and all. so this cut like a guillotine. All of a sudden, <laughs> no more closed. So wow. I sat down, had a meeting with myself and said, girl, <laughs> if you don't do something, you're toast. So I said, where, what, the, 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 the web, virtual, that's where it is. So I started to look into that and then uh, partnered with Blaine, Blaine Ashley and, and with some restaurants also and a cheese company, Artisanal. So we just came up with these uh, formulas where people could, we would facilitate for people, this is what we're going to talk about and we bring either the chef or the maker, etc. And uh, give people entertainment, pleasure, you know, it's Epicurean. And also they learn a few things here and there with pairing champagne where they would buy the champagne from a store and then the food from depending on which, which product supplier it is. Uh, then we got hired by major companies to do their, because they couldn't do travel anymore, mm -hmm. incentive either for their team or for their clients when they close the deal. So we were hired by these major corporations to do tastings for and of both food and champagne for their teams and, and clients. And that really, really kept busy for the whole thing. And it was really good for the brand because I decided parallel to that to, to target, to reach out to the customers directly, which I wasn't really doing much before. It was through the wholesale channel. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say all in all, it was a positive, very positive. Um, situation. So as things are beginning to open back up, I mean, you must be excited because um, like you've just been in hospitality for decades and yeah. decades. Like, does it like wh where, where's the first, what was the first place you went out to eat when, when stuff that opened up? First was for um, our anniversary uh, at uh, the outdoor at Jean Georges. Oh, it was brilliant. Yes, put the mask on. I, I just, to this day, I still put the mask on. We're vaccinated. I put the mask on mm -hmm. when needed. Yeah. Uh, that was incredible feeling, an incredible feeling. Uh, and then when, indoors, my first meal indoors was at Le Bernardin when they opened. 5 p.m., first reservation, please. <laughs> the groupie. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> and in the meantime, I've been supporting restaurants a lot because I'm a lot about that, yeah. uh, supporting on a two-way street, you know, whether it's a uh, Cote Korean Steakhouse, Atomix, Atobo, which are amazing restaurants, uh, Kochi, and then Odo, uh, a lot of uh, Loring Place, showing how different foods go with, with, the, with the champagne. So, yeah, we've done a Valentine's Day Zoom for Dan Kluger, uh, Loring Place's uh, guests. And with the champagne and his incredible menu from his two places, Loring Place and Penny Bridge. So, yeah, it's been uh, – I'm happy to see them open. Uh, and obviously, I think now also with the summer, people are going out more. The Zoom activities are kind of tapering down. But I think not, it's not gone forever. It's going to be No, I don't, I don't think it will be gone forever. Um, yeah. I um, Just because, you know – Zoom was here. I was on Zoom in 2010. Like it became oh, like, really? like I mean Zoom's been around for a minute. That's the funny ah. thing like so so I don't think it's going anywhere but you know I just know that there's nothing that there's nothing like 
what we're doing, even just sitting down, having a bottle of wine or right. a bottle of champagne and having a conversation with someone face to face, the Zoom, it's great. And I think that's, you know, this podcast is a product of that, like the, the ability to connect because you have, we began to connect with people like, oh, I'm going to actually not just like, I'm going to DM someone and then and, and actually leave comments and right. begin to actually interact on social, actually be social on social media. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's any substitute for the ability to be social, but I, I'm grateful for Zoom because, um, like you said, we, we can still do these things. And I think I, I'm just excited, uh, like to hearing what you said, because like, okay, so now you still have restaurants, but you still, there's, there, you can still do events anywhere. Absolutely. You know, you know, one of the events we did for the, uh, one of the corporations, the host stopped in, in the middle of the, the, the event. He says, do you guys realize that we have guests from all over the U.S.? Mm-hmm. And, and we can do this in a cinch, storm, no storm, I don't care, and, and all that, no travel, no, we, we were doing this. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really, really a big plus, I have to say. You know, you know, you, you said something that earlier in the conversation about how, you know, you've been embraced by the Psalm community and then and, and yep. you alluded to, you know, that, you know, you're like a little bit older than them, but like you're, you, you seem to be ever evolving. Why is that so important to you? To be evolving, to just continue to evolve, to adapt. Yes. I mean, while remaining true to yourself, obviously, because people, you know, authenticity is very important. I think the world around you changes. If you don't change, you, you, you're like not appealing to the same people, you're communicating to the same people because the world changes, players change. But if you can adapt while still remaining yourself, that's very important. You know, I think it's a huge plus. It's not always easy, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really, um, if you can do it with your brand without, you know, extending it without not becoming who you are, by all means, it's fun too. Yeah, it's fun. I, I love that attitude because, you know, you know, there's a great quote. Um, there's a guy, he was actually, he just worked the docks like in San Francisco. His name was Eric Hoffer and he's written a lot of great books. And, and literally, I don't even know if he's formally educated, but he had this quote, he said, in times of change, uh, the learners will inherit the earth while the learned will find themselves perfectly equipped for a world which no longer exists. That's right. And like what you just said is just like, how are you? Uh, this is a good, this, this, the question I want is, how are you, because you've said this a number of times, how are you able to remain true to yourself, authentic, and like genuinely authentic, because authentic gets thrown around like as a buzzword, mm-hmm. but how are you able to remain true to yourself, trust your gut, and evolve? Right. That's where learning comes in. That's where learning comes in because I believe when you're educated and you go to school, you don't really learn the material. You learn how to learn. So you become an autodidact and then you learn by yourself. That's what every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, what can I learn today? I have a very big curiosity. Um, obviously, you have to process it. But where it comes in with meshing with who you are is that certain things you won't be able to do. Because why? Because it'll it'll conflict the message of who you are. If it's going to alter who you are, no. Unless part of your change is willingly to change that aspect and become, you know, um, something else. But then it's your DNA, mm. who mm. you are. And part of it is to be open to the world. And also, I just love dealing with very, very diverse people. It's so enriching. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I think the learning part of it is very, that's the key to everything and the openness of mind. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that. Um, So as we're reaching the end of our time, a couple more questions. Um, uh, You know, we talked about that 1907 champagne, but what was, what was, and not even champagne, like, if you're not drinking champagne, what are you drinking? Like, what do you like to drink? Like, what's your baller bottle of wine? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's not just one. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite producers in the universe is Guillaume d'Angerville, Volney. Oof. You know, it's also another thing that's important. Drink what you like. Yes. And and I like Volney. Somebody else might like another appellation like or Chambertin another type of wine. Exactly. exactly. Right, right, right. So I'm a Volney girl for sure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I don't like the other sure. two by far. Right. But yes, uh, Claude Duc, uh, 
<laughs> yes. Plus, he's such an amazing uh, person. Always, you know, the human aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Um, in the whites, I really like to, to be surprised and diversify, you know, go to different regions mm -hmm. of the world. I'm very open for that. Uh, whether it's Canary Islands, I love the wines from the islands. It looks like Sicilian wine. Mm -hmm. I'm taken by Sicilian wine totally. Um, or even, um, you know, some other Loire Valley is an extraordinary region. Mm -hmm. So extraordinary. So much to learn there. Um, otherwise, in the non-wine and other champagnes, I have to say, mm -hmm. I don't just drink La Caravelle. Yeah. I love to drink other champagnes. Love, love, love. Um, there's a club in California called Champagne uh, Camp um, by Chris Nicola and Garth Hodgson, who used to be with Krug. Okay. And they select a monthly pick of three different champagnes. Some of them haven't been imported in the U.S. yet. So you discover things that are incredible. Mm. That And then in the non-wine non drinks, I have two cocktails. My go-to cocktails are uh, Margarita okay. with uh, Casa Dragones, preferably, <laughs> <laughs> and Negroni. Those are my two. Ne Negroni is a big one in, in, in the wine world yeah. for some reason. A lot of, lot of, lot of people who like, like Negronis. Yeah. I call them BWG-onis. <laughs> um, and lastly, I want to ask you this: um, what 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 are you most excited about moving forward? Um, about the world reopening and people being healthier, and you know that ugliness behind us. Yeah. Uh, on a personal note, I lost my sister to COVID in mm. Lebanon early December, so that was a a big uh, big shock. So that's you know going toward positive and healthy. That's the big one. I want to mention real quickly that we didn't talk about the rosé. I forgot to mention the oh, rosé yes, real quick. Yeah, yes, please. No. Because I, you know why I ran out of it. So that's, oh, I remember. That's why I didn't bring. Right. No, that... I didn't bring it. Uh, next week will be replenished. Okay. But our <laughs> rosé is a blended rosé, um, uh, same base blend as a Cuvenina, and they blend in some still uh, Pinot Noir. Oh, I so have to try that rosé when you I, get I it. I promise you, uh... when the ship is on loaded you'll right. get that very cool. for sure yeah. um oh my god oh rita thank you so much for thank you coming on you are like beautiful soul ditto yeah yeah just, just um thank you. generous i see why you have been successful um you would be successful in anything but in hospitality you really have to be giving and generous and you love do. people you do. it doesn't work unless you love people Absolutely. you know um I love that line. I mean, that's in Victoria's book. The guy said, you, you got to love, you have to love your customers. You have to love exactly. people to be in this business, you know? Exactly. Um, oh, well, I love it. I have a new friend. I love making new friends. Same um, here. I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much. I loved your question. Very insightful and very, um, you know, humanist also. Thank you. I really love that. Thank you Thank so you for much. having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing? So I can be found on the you know, our website, lacaravel.com. Very simple. You have all the information, including how to reach out to me or social media at uh, Instagram at Rita Jamais and uh, at La Caravelle Champagne, as well as at La Caravelle Listrack. So there we go. Well, everybody, this was a lovely, lovely afternoon of day drinking champagne with the lovely inside and out Rita Germain. Um, my peoples, until the next time, cheers to the mavericks, the philosophers, uh, the deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's MJ, and we're out. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 